Welcome to Top of Mind, the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the biggest trends impacting the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. This is where I talk to the smartest leaders, thinkers, and doers in the real estate industry. For a couple of years now, we've been we've been sharing the latest market data every week in our Altos Research Weekly video series. With the new Top of Mind podcast, we're looking to add some context to the discussion about what's happening in the market from leaders in the industry. Each week, Altos Research tracks every home for sale in the country, all the pricing, all the supply and demand. We do all the analytics on all those changes, and, and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's happening in the housing market right now. It's been so hot, so competitive, and and suddenly the landscape is changing. So when people ask me, Mike, can I get the data from my local market? You know, we talk nationally, but can I do it local? Yes. The answer is yes. I go to altosresearch.com for free consultation on how you can use the local market data in your business and check out your local markets. Without further ado, I am happy to introduce my guest today. Logan Motoshami. Did I sp- pronounce that right? Yes, Motoshami. you did. All right, Motoshami. That's terrific. Logan is a housing data analyst, a financial writer, blogger, covering the U.S. economy, specializing in the housing market. Logan's work has been frequently quoted, quoted bank rate, Bloomberg Financial. Logan is now the lead analyst for Housing Wire, astute analysis, the astute analysis of economic data and in, in, in years with years of direct lending experience allows him to present a unique, informed, and unbiased perspective on the financial markets. He may be best known for highly prescient predictions of the state of the housing market and mortgage rate trends. We're going we're gonna to be getting into some predictions today. I really appreciate Logan's view and, and his, 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 the volume of the work that you do, the really, the, the, like the being on top of all of the info, the, the data and the trends. And looking at the future, I like that you're unafraid to make a prediction about the future. So, Logan, welcome to Top of Mind. It is great to be here. All One right. data nerd to another. That's right. <laughs> exactly. We're doing some data nerd today. So, we're going to talk a lot of data today. We're gonna we're gonna you know play around by predicting the future. And there's some man, there's some uncertainty in the market right now. So it's going to be fascinating to see what we you know make some put some like flags in the ground and see where they, they end up later on. So, but let's start with your background. You're, you were originally a lender. And so how did you develop your, your expertise? And, and tell me about that part, how we got here. Yes. My family has actually been in banking since the late 1950s. So I got into the financial industry in 1996, started trading stocks, you know, helping the family business and mortgages and then kind of one thing led to another in 2010. And, you know, somebody asked me to write about, you know, the financial markets. And I decided to create my own blog after that. And every year, just talking about the housing market, just directly regards to that. But by 2015, I decided to take it to the next level and just do data analytical work with the economic expansion first, then talk about the housing market so we could be a little bit more complete because there are a lot of crazy people out there and the internet doesn't tell the truth all the time. So I thought, let's just do it in a kind of progression model way and give people 
kind of things to look at to kind of crowd out a lot of the noise out there because there's a lot of noise. And this way, at least there's people can reference it because it's it's really just data driven. It's just trying to explain it rather than trying to do ideological economics, which hasn't worked well for the past, you know, 15 years. Yeah. You know, the, the, it's so hard to pull our ideology out of our perspective. You know, we have, you know, we have so many people who have an, a, a view that the government is overspending or the Fed keeps money too cheap. And therefore they have a view that the market must crash. It's so hard to pull all that out and just be be objective with the data. What do you... Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, it's... I don't follow a lot of people. I don't read people's work. I don't even watch TV. You know, I just simply just look at a consistent group of data, back test it, and then adjust it to rates or demographics. It's something like that. And throughout time, that, that's become more efficient for me. The less human element, I think, is better because... Out there, it's all human element, and I understand why they do it, but it's it's something that I can't do. So I'm just trying to talk data first and try to explain it, which actually kind of makes it very boring. You know, I, I always say if economics is done right, it should be terribly boring. It really shouldn't be like this exciting. But we live in a society that, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I try to make it as entertaining as possible so it'll be bearable. But yeah, math, facts, data works. The rest is storytelling. We just want to talk about trends and take it from there. So so let's let's start here then. Let's start with the data. It is now we're recording this middle of June. The, the, the podcast will go out early July, but, but middle of June, we're recording this. The market's changing. The housing market's changing. The economy, there's crazy things going on in the economy. What, what's your take on where we are right now? Let's start there. What, what's what? So for the, for the housing market, you know, in the previous expansion, I used to always talk about from 2008 to 2019, we'd have the weakest housing recovery ever. And that's not on prices. That's mortgage expansion, new home sales, housing starts. Those things will have to work their way with household formation until years 2020 to 2024. Then we have real good, what I call replacement buyers, because I don't believe the U.S. could have a credit boom. So during this period of very, very hot home price growth, I've kind of set two key things after 2020. If home prices just grew at 23% for five years, we'd be okay. But unlike the previous expansion, you can see inventory slowly falling every single year. So here comes the biggest demographic patch ever. You put move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors. Inventory can crack historically. And then there could be some problems with uh, price inflation. That obviously happened. But in early part of actually toward the end of 2020, I talked about the housing market can change but it needs the 10-year yield to get above 1.94%, which has always been a key level for me. And once that happens, the market dynamics could change. But also home price growth was unbelievably hot. And to me, it was more about forced bidding than actually like credit demand or credit explosion. So because of that, you have this unbelievable home price growth. You know, If we just grew at 4% every year for 10 years, we'd have so much price weight with the wage growth wasn't the case. So now that the 10-year yield broke above 1.94%, to me, that is a material change because what that does is it takes the entire total cost of housing 
up in a very big way that we never had to deal with in the previous expansion. So that should slow down housing, should slow down the new home sales market, should slow down housing construction, purchase application data should get hit. I actually had anticipated more weakness on the year-over-year purchase application data. Look at about 18 to 22% year-over-year declines on a four-week moving average. We're about 16.75, so we're getting there. But one thing I noticed is four to five, four to five percent mortgage rates weren't doing that much damage. But now above six percent, that's if that continues, you're just going to see home sales fall, inventory should grow, housing construction sh- should slow, and that's typically the impact of higher rates toward the housing market. So I'm not a bond guy. Why 1.94 percent on the 10 year? What does that mean? And and what like and how does that? What does it mean? in general, and then what does it mean for housing? So in the previous expansion, all my forecasts, when I started incorporating bond market trends and mortgage rates, you know, from 2015 and on, I said the 10-year yields are just being arranged between 1.6 to 3%. So easy way, 3.5% to 4.75 mortgage rates. Toward the end of 2018 and 19, actually at the end of 2017, I thought we would invert the yield curve in 2018, just because rate rates, the 10-year and two-year had the potential of crossing. But in 2019, I thought, hey, listen, if the 10-year yield can get above 1.94%, then you know growth should be fine, but it's going to be a struggle. And we never got above that level in 2019. And then 2020 came, and obviously the economic data was getting better. Then COVID came. So COVID was this exogenistic shock. But people forgot housing broke out in February of 2020. And the purchase application data was actually positive, noticeably, up to about March 18th of 2020. So right when COVID hit us, housing authentically broke out. Retail sales were still growing. Job growth was fine. Then we had this shock. Everyone was, you know, oh, guess what? Here it is. And the bond market was going to collapse, right? And that's one of the things I wrote about for Housing Wire. When this happens, bond yields are going to go down. Rates are going to go down. So that in itself gives housing a cushion. The America's Back Recovery Model that I wrote for Housing Wire on April 7th was give this some time and housing should recover, right? Because those people, you know, people thought about, well, there's 20 to 30 million people unemployed. Well, there was also always 133 million people working. So if people just lose that fear of what COVID was that first six weeks, then housing should come back. Housing came back right away. So when I talk about the bond market in terms of 1.94%, it's hard for me to think that was going to happen in 2020. Part of the 2022 forecast, even though I was talking about we really need rates to rise to cool this down, I didn't believe we can get the 10-year yield above that level in 2021. So rates were going to stay low. But in 2022, the forecast was if global yields can rise, we can get 4% plus mortgage rates. We could get the 10-year yield to about 2.42%. Then a lot of other things happened this year. So the bond market and mortgage rates really started to take off after the Russian invasion. The Federal Reserve really pivoted in terms of wanting to fight inflation. And then rates in the bond market got well ahead of what the Fed was going to do. And and inflation became the main topic. So we have to deal with that in relationship to where mortgage rates are. Because if you actually look at where mortgage rates are, where inflation is, we should be a little bit higher technically. But we're trying to fight this equilibrium, this tug of war between are we going into a recession and when do bond yields and mortgage rates come back down? Yeah. Wow. So there's a lot, lot there. Okay. Let me start with the thing that's most fresh for us. So you said that based on 
the bond market, you'd expect mortgage rates to be higher than they are currently? Well, based on where inflation is. Based on uh, inflation, which is coming hot. Yeah, it's hot. And historically, if you look at it, inflation rate of growth is high. Mortgage rates and bond yields are still close. If you want to make a historical reference to that, if you go back to the 70s and, and 90s, you know, the 19 or mid part of the 1990s when when, in, when the Fed was really being inflation, mortgage rates almost got to near 10% back then. So mortgage rates are still kind of low in that historical context, but it's a tug of war. Everyone's waiting to see the economic data start to look recessionary because they assume the bond market and the mortgage rates will come back down at that point. And the Fed is really talking very aggressively. They hiked 75 basis points. So there's this very unique tug of war that's going on. And I think since it's everyone's first time, the bond market, the mortgage rate inflation, a lot of these things don't make sense on a historical basis, unless you believe in the downtrend in bond yields from 1981, or if you go back 800 years, bond yields have been following that trend. So that's kind of how I look at it, because I I don't believe the U.S. is a fast-growing economy. I don't believe they could wages and growth and inflation can continue as we had this exogenistic shock and we're dealing with some of the aftermaths of that. And then eventually over time, things should calm down and get back to normal and we're a slow growing economy. Wow. Okay. So, so to, because of, because inflation's coming hot, we have, we, the, the mortgage rates actually jumped. They spiked big, like two big days in a row last week after that, the, that hot inflation report. And now the, the question is like, do you need, so assuming inflation stays hot, you, you would assume rates go higher from here. Mortgage rates go higher from here. Well, here's the interesting aspect. Mortgage rates and the bond market is well ahead of where the Federal Reserve is. So we're, we've priced in a lot of things. It's just that that CPI level pushed it a little bit higher. Yeah. And a lot of people were waiting for things to cool out. Now, the, the fascinating aspect is core inflation is starting to slow down. You know, the headline inflation, energy and food prices are picking up. Now, there's one aspect, the, the Russian war created this, but also we created sanctions against Russia to actually make it worse. So part of those sanctions are part of the reasons why we're, you know, oil prices are higher and food prices are higher. And we have to put in the variable of war into economics now because it's keeping the headline inflation growing up much hotter than the growth rate of core inflation. And today we got retail sales were a little bit softer. So the PCE data that the Federal Reserve tracks, that core inflation is starting to cool down. But I think with energy and food prices, the Federal Reserve, I don't know if, if they believe this, but they feel like they have to show that they're being very aggressive, even though traditionally what the Fed can do is the dollar gets stronger and oil crashes because of that. That's not happening. So they have to really put up a... Uh, a good face that they're here to stop inflation, but I just don't know how much they can do with energy and gas prices. The other things, you cool down demand enough, you destroy enough wealth, the stock market, the excesses in the economy are coming down. And you know, at some point over the next six months, we're either really going to show recessionary data and the Fed flips, or the economy surprises us all and it stays firm and the Russian situation gets worse. Be the Chinese Taiwan situation impacts and that headline inflation stays elevated. 
Got it. So in that case, that that headline inflation stays elevated, then then we continue to assume that rates, mortgage rates, climb from here. I actually don't. I, I I'll take the other side on that just for okay. just for one one factor. I've got I've got a recession red flag model. There's six things that need to go up before I start to get into recession watch. Four of them are up already. The last time I had four up was in 2006. The other two happened that year. I'm I'm about to raise the fifth flag with the, the next housing starts data. So the economy is already showing slowdown effects. And I, I believe once the Fed starts to comment about, hey, listen, all right, the economy is slowing down. We're not going to be this aggressive. We're going to make sure that we try to minimize the collateral damage of fighting this inflation in that regards. So I think to me, we're, we're kind of peaking out. But where I can be wrong is that the economy stays firm and inflation doesn't let up regarding that. So if the core inflation data doesn't start to come down. The economy is not in recession. Growth stays up. And then we're dealing with all these other variables that none of us can really control. And then rates could probably go up a little bit higher. I know the mortgage-backed security market is very stressed right now. So that's that's kind of where I am. Because I just, I just don't believe our economy can handle this kind of inflation and this kind of rates. And we already see it in the data. We already see housing falling. We already see the builder's confidence falling. So those things actually matter when you talk about economic cycles. And eventually the Fed actually can't really defend their take about, uh, well, we need to be even more aggressive when kind of the job loss recession starts to happen. And then bond yields do their traditional coming back down with mortgage rates coming back down. Wow. Okay. So based on the fact that you see likelihood of recession, or you're not ready to make a call yet, but but a lot of the a lot of the flags are up, but I think a lot of people see a lot of the flags up. Yeah. Then that would implicate imply that that rates, general bond rates, and mortgage rates will come down in the future and not not keep going up from here. That's yeah, that's sort of yeah. the summary I, of that. Okay. And I think now, the Federal Reserve is already you know commenting or forward guiding that they think they could cut rates next year or in 2024. Yeah. So we're everyone, and you know, this is just a very unique tug of war because, you know, in this century, we never had to deal with very hot inflation. Of course, this century didn't have to deal with a pandemic. We didn't have to deal with so much fiscal stimulus on top of monetary stimulus all at once. And we just had so much spending in a few areas of the U.S. that is abnormal. And we're dealing with the aftermaths of that and supply chains and everything. So it's, it's very unique. But the housing inflation story would have been here even without, just because the inventory levels, both for rental and home, homeownership have been falling. So that inflation would have picked up regardless. I, I agree with that view. And it, you could see it, you could see the the people buying homes in the pandemic, like early pandemic, before any stimulus hit, people were buying. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that as well. And then, so then the question is, so we have your your view of, of the economy, which is, this crazy, we haven't seen stuff like this in a long time. So we have inflation. Inflation looks at some of the, the inflation signals are, are maybe turning the corner, coming down, but the headline ones are still as high as they've been. We have, everybody sees recession potential. So that those might come down. So given those factors, given the fact that at like today, I don't know, the 30-year rates at like 62 
or so, or 3% or something like that. What do you see for home prices? You've been very vocal about saying that, that there's no housing bubble, implying to me that you don't think that home prices can crash in a big way. Where do you see them actually going based on, the, on your view of the economy? So when I look at total inventory in the United States of America from 1980 to now, Traditionally, we're at, you know, this is taking the NAR data. Traditionally, two to two and a half million is normal, right? What happened during the housing bubble years is that we had a credit boom and then we had a credit bust. So when rates were falling down, it didn't matter because credit got tighter in relationship to the demand curve. So I can't say it's a housing bubble because I always talk about this is the weakest housing recovery ever the demand is you know real home prices were slightly going negative in 2019 so we just never had that kind of market but what you could have which is i think is almost worse in another way if you have shortages of homes you if you're over if you're forced to bid you suck up a lot of affordability now those homeowners are doing great you know that's part of the thing if you look at homeowners financial profiles they've never looked better and they even got much better after covid so the ability to get supply back to, let's say, three and a half to four and a half million units, like we saw after the housing crash, not going to happen. It's called forced credit selling with demand weakness. What we can have, what I think should happen is, I've kind of set this target since 2020, we need total inventory to get back. And again, this is the NAR data, 1.52 million to 1.93 million. As soon as that happens, I could take the savagely unhealthy housing market because what it what the problem is is the days on market right now are just too low, right? Yeah. Even when we look at the weekly data from Redfin's and Realtor, and they're just too low, and people don't understand why aren't home prices crashing now? Well, the days on market is too low. You could have falling sales. We've had falling sales before, and home prices still don't go negative. But inventory should get back up to 1.52 to 1.93 million. A lot of people fight me on this because they say people don't sell well. There's a natural sell listings that happen every single year. It's just that if demand could keep that listing at a very low level because it'll suck up the supply. With what's happened with home price growth from this period to where mortgage rates are, we should be able to get inventory up. And once inventory is kind of above kind of 2 million, and we get above four months of supply, then we can talk about, okay, the possibility of home prices declining. And that's why those targets are always a big part of my work because I thought it's going to be a struggle getting up there when rates are low. That's no longer the case. Rate, I thought four to 5% rates would change the market. 6% rates is really going to do it. So the inventory channels, what you want to do is you want to see them grow at the end of the year because the seasonality factors and going into the next year, they should grow even more. And housing is kind of like this two to three year process of a supply. And then it'll just gradually get up. And then you'll see price declines when that happens, because there's more choices then. And even if rates fell back down, I still think the amount of price gains that we had in such a short amount of time is has done some historical damage. We never had that in the past. You know, the past when rates went up, sales fell, then they went lower, demand picked up. They kind of kept things at bay. But we took a lot of housing inflation in in two and a half years. And hence why I call it the savagely unhealthy housing market. Yeah, for sure. And, it's, and, and so it's been 
savagely unhealthy. It's been like not good for any participant except for the one person who you know, bought their house, you know, 30 years ago and is just sitting on it and watching, you know, equity grow. The but so so what you're saying is multiple years of higher interest rates that each year cause us to have a little more inventory added to the market. And then once we get inventory back up, then we can look at home prices decline year over year. Yeah. I, once we get about four months supply and inventory, you know, kind of once we hit that 1.93 level, then I think there is where I know a lot of people say, well, you can't have home prices decline until you get six months supply. I'd say, let's just progress our way there because when you deal with the housing market, rates can go back down and it can take some of the supply down with it. So this yeah. is why this is why I always talk about you want to target inventory levels and then target supply levels where you have more choices. Once you have more choices, then the pricing changes because you know what we had is we just had a raw shortage of homes. Anybody could do whatever they want. You just had too many people chasing too few homes. It wasn't credit. And because it wasn't credit, there's limits to what you could do in housing. That's why it was so frustrating for me to watch the last two and a half years. I'm thinking, oh my God, the one thing, the one thing I always talk about that could ruin years 2020 to 2024 is accelerated home price growth above 23%. And I lost it in two years. And then it's still, it got worse than 2022. So I just said, listen, the only I, early, early in like January, early February, I said, we need higher rates no matter what. This is the worst housing market. What I saw in February, January, February, where we saw 20, 30, 40 people bidding for, it was just so, it was cringe, painstaking that that was happening wrong because people don't realize the damage they're doing. And that's why I always say that we needed higher rates. You know, when, when I talked about this in February 2021, people always fought back and they said, well, we have to just build more homes. We don't need higher rates. No, you don't get it. You're not building homes in this environment. They're never even going to be fixed. You know, we have the completion data is so bad. And even if they did build those homes, that's not going to help this situation. We are under 1.52 million. That's never happened. And here's this massive demographic patch. So you know, I was very blunt about it. The pricing power that sellers had and home builders had was way too much. And the only way you put these people on their ass is higher rates because yeah. it'll change the narrative. We just needed to get above 1.94%. And, you know, we were heading that way. And then after the invasion, yields fell, people thought a recession, but then we just shot right back up. So to me, this is balance. And I get a lot of pushback on it, but I, I'm, I'm just looking at it at a historical, we need a balanced housing market because guess what? People will always need to buy homes and the amount of home price inflation was way too hot in this two, two and a half year period. Yeah. So so you think of the, the inflection point as an absolute number, X amount of homes on the market, a million and one point, whatever you called it, is your number. I think of it in, an, in a relative numbers. So one of the things we have, we've had for the last decade is we have declining each year, year over year inventory, as we've taken single family homes or like in homes out of the resale market and turned them into investment properties. We've taken like 8 million homes out of the resale space and, and turned them into investment properties. And therefore those are not for sale. And that's, that's a big chunk of the, of the whole country. And in 2018 rates rose, and we had, by the end of 2018, we had year-over-year -year inventory gains. And by 2019, we had, as you pointed out, flat or maybe negative real home price gains. And so the year following 
you have year over year inventory gains the year following is correlated to that to 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 that change so what we've had is and basically for for more than a decade we've had every year home price or every year inventory falls and home prices climb mm-hmm. like that's what's been happening with that slight exception that that little 2018 2019 window and so now we have inventory climbing again we have year over year inventory gains and so my uh i wouldn't call it a forecast because we don't really do forecasts that way but my my gut my model says that that implies flat at least flat price changes home price appreciation between 2022 and 2023 because we have relative levels of inventory gains what do you think of that days on market to me are like really important and what we had in 2018 and 19 days on market was above 30 days once we get there housing gets really interesting from the levels we've had here my structural bias is that i need prices to fall like 12 to 18 percent to get my 2020 to 2024 (laughs) model back so I'm in a very bad situation because I need that to go back down noticeably to make this work for me. But I, I, I don't want to just say, I, I don't want to be this guy. Oh, home prices accelerated beyond trend. It has to come back here. I, I just think that's such lazy work. I think you have to guide people to where we see the inflection point. That's why I've always talked about 1.94% on the 10-year yield. Once that happened, things changed. That's why I talked about 23% home price growth in, in five years. If we break that, these are really big things. And so we should be able to correct some of that, but we need a little bit more inventory. We need days on market to grow back up over 30 days. Okay. So let's talk about where that inventory is going to come from. We are, you know, in, in the Altos data and just talking single family homes, when, which is the one I like to use as the headline. We have normally this time of year, we'd have a million homes on them, just under a million homes on the market, normally being the last decade. You know, right now we have 400,000 and that's climbing rapidly and it's higher than last year at this time. How do we get back to a million? There's no, you know, you and I talk about it and we talk about this publicly. There's no, there are no distressed sellers anywhere in the world, in the country. There's nobody underwater. There's no short sales. There's, there's, we have unemployment's high. Like, so there's nobody, like we have fewest delinquencies anywhere. So there's no distress sellers, at least in the next, you know, probably 18 months before we'd see any distress sellers. And so where does that inventory come from that gets us from, in our numbers, 400,000 to a million or in our numbers, like whatever, 600,000 to a million and a half or whatever that, that number, where does that come from? I don't believe we're at a natural, normal state of inventory. So it is weakness in demand in traditional listings should get us back up there. It's not, it's not, the job loss recession is another variable that it's not part of that, but I just believe we will naturally go back to a certain level because there's always a functioning amount of people that have to sell their homes. And we have gotten to such a low level that we have broken that. So when you have higher rates and you get back to some kind of normal, it should get us back there on its own because under kind of 2020 levels is not what we traditionally see. And because we have so many people ages 30 to 39, let's just take COVID out of the equation and work from home. 
I naturally thought more people would be moving during this period in time. So a seller is a natural buyer. So just because we could have a little bit more listings at that point, with higher rates, demand cools down enough, listings should get us back above to that level just because we are at a very abnormal state and sub 4% rates were not you know, helping that happen. But now above four, five, you know, I thought that could happen six, definitely. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it, getting back to those levels. Traditional, traditional listings back to norm and weakness in demand, you put those two together, there you go. Yep. It'll happen. Now, the thing is that the selling of those homes might take longer than normal because sellers are stingy. And, and you know, and that's that's the that's the thing that's different about housing than the stock market. Stock market, you sell stock, that's it. It's over. You don't sell. A seller has to be a natural buyer, most likely. So they have to be able to know that they can obtain a, a shelter after it. So wherever mortgage rates are, it's still fine for them. So just weakness and demand. That's always my thing is that the, the history of inventory in America it's really come from weakness in demand or forced credit selling. Forced credit selling was a 2006 to 2011 period. Here, we just got to a very abnormal level, but we do have people that are listing. The only counter to my own self is that, you know, from 1985 to 2007, people stayed in their homes five to seven years. From 2008 to 2022, it's 11 to 13 years. Parts of the U.S. are 15, 18 years. I myself have lived in my home for 18 years. So that can slow that process down. I just don't think we're in a we're in a very natural, normal state of where inventory is, considering our country, you know, is, is so big. You know, there's all these other countries, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, their home prices are so much higher than their per capita income. We're not. So I just think that since our country is so big, people can move around. There'll be a general flow of listings that should come hopefully. And then that should cool things down. And then maybe I can get my price declines that I want, but we'll see. I just, I just, I just don't want to be that guy. Just say the price is a terribly disaster way of looking at economics for a very long time. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, so it took us a decade to get down to this level from, from our normal levels. Like each year we get fewer. And then, and then of course, you know, the last two years hit it hard, but it took us a decade to get down to this level. How many years, how quickly can we get back to this normal level? How long in your view does it take? It could be next year. It could be next. You think we could go from 400,000 to a million homes by next year with rates at this level. Um, Okay. I mean, I mean, you know, if higher rates came in December, I might have a different just because it's a 12 to 18 month duration timeframe. Yeah. But the thing is that higher rates have to stick. This is this is why I always talk about, you know, higher rates have to stick. Don't do a bond market rally. Let inventory take its course, because I am literally fine. If we're back to kind of 2018, 2019, I could take the savagely unhealthy market off because it's just a function of more choices. So whatever the market does, it's normal. This is abnormal. So I just believe that once we get back to a normal stage, we should get there. Yeah, that's that. Everyone fights me on that because they see the historical trend. But I just I just think that we got to an area we should not have been to. For and sure. because of the price growth, you know, if home prices just grew at 3% a year, I would have a different take, but it didn't, it broke yeah. my model. So I, I, I'm bounded by my own model. So I have to just go with it. And I just have to 
hope that rates stay high enough to get us back to something normal. That'd be fascinating. That would be significantly faster than I have anticipated. I, I've sort of assumed that, you know, it took us a decade to erode our inventory levels this far. It would take us a couple of years of higher rates to get back to where at least a, a few years of higher rates to get us back to normal. Now, what will be fascinating is like, I, like because I, I'm not a bond guy, I'm not a more a interest rate guy. Like, I had no idea we'd be at 6% this fast. And so that like like that impact will be really fascinating to see. And maybe we do get it. The inflection point there in inventory for me is will be October. So normally we will hit the very peak of our inventory will be basically at peaks last week of June, but we still get a little more through July and August and September. And then there's usually like, the first or second week of September, and then we start inventory declining for the fall. That's why I always talk about October being a very key time frame because 2020 of October, I was like, oh boy, we are in trouble. And then 2021, where people thought, oh, hey, housing inventory is going to take off. I was like, seasonality, no, we're still down year over yeah. year. People, 2022 could be even worse. Yeah. And like, that if if October goes up, yeah. If October inventory keeps climbing, that's gonna be that's what you're like. If we're in the high sixes or something, mortgage rates and inventory keeps climbing in October, like that is then when I see your your yeah. your but, you know yeah, back to normal think a next lot of year. People, yeah, a lot of people don't know the seasonality factors. That's why when October things were declining, I said, no, 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 no. we're not twenty percent oversupplied. We are going to a bad area in twenty twenty two. It's not going to be good. Yeah, uh, You have to worry about home prices accelerating. So again, I, I know my structural bias to get inventory up and prices to come down to make this work, but I, I'm, just, I'm just working with variables that we've always dealt with, with bond markets and economic cycles. And if, if rates come back down, I don't think it has the similar impact that it did in the previous expansion. It could be a stabilizer, but we, we have to pay the price for two and a half years of, of unbelievably abnormal home price gains. The advantage always is that equity seller that does not, doesn't matter if rates are six and a half percent or four, they have a lot of their equity will come in, their debt income ratios will be low, but they need to find a buyer for that property too. So we'll see how that supply demand equilibrium work, but the demand side is being hit. It's always the tricky part of the supply. And this has been here for many, many years and people never paid attention to it. It was just like that. That recent article I wrote for Housing Market, Can Home Prices Fall? I literally documented from 2012, 2013, for every single thing that was supposed to create the crash and inventory was falling every single year. And you're like, wow, people just don't read. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. Well, and, and you know, people really haven't like most of the most of the people who have opinions on whether it's gonna ha have, they have some, they don't have the real data. So so here's the question though. So you say we have to have home prices decline by 12% to get back into your model. Do you expect home prices to decline by 12 to 15%? For a 12 for a 12 to 15% national decline, that would really need a job loss recession with rates staying high because we're talking about we're talking about the national data. We're not talking about Boise or we're not talking about Austin. Yeah. We're just talking about the national data and housing prices declining is very sticky, right? So you need kind of more of the forced selling. And we're talking about what inventory was 
three, three and a half, over 4 million NAR data back then during the housing crash period. So you you need, you know, for, for a one-year decline of that amount, you need a job loss recession, you need higher rates, you need demand weakness. Because one thing that people forget about the housing bubble credit and crash, credit was getting tighter in relationship to the demand curve. So even though rates were falling, it didn't matter because the product that facilitated that higher sales level, this is why when I use the purchase application data, I always draw that chart from 2002 to 2005 to show people, this is never gonna happen again. So you're not working from a very elevated level of sales. Just like the new home sales market, we're just like two, two, 250,000 away from where traditional recession low levels are. So it's much more manageable for them. So we need a job loss recession. We need forced selling for something to that nature. But again, I always say, first things first, let's get monthly supply over four months. Let's get back to 2018, 19 levels. And then we can have a discussion because then it's a progression model. It shows people because then you have to deal with the variables of bond markets fall down and mortgage rates fall down, how much demand kits that. It's a, it's a moving thing. We would track it every week. We track it every month. It doesn't necessarily care what you want. It's just how economics is. And okay. That's, so that's so then to summarize that, so that you'd say a 10 to 12 percent or 10 plus percent home price decline requires a job loss, a significant job loss recession first. Is that right? And higher rates and a job loss. High, higher rates and job loss recession. And then in that sense, you'd have job losses and then you have people without work for 90 days. Then they can't pay their mortgage. They stop paying their mortgage. And then those folks either have to sell or they go into a foreclosure process. And so that's another 90 days. So then you'd start to see distressed sellers six months after the recession. Also, you know, one, one thing about a job loss recession, the people that are going to be the most unemployed are those with a renter financial profile. So right. the, the which invest, we saw in COVID. Yeah, the investment profile of the buildup of investors, you know, in that sense, you, you don't necessarily get a traditional supply increase from distressed sellers. You can get investors that have lost a significant portion of a local economy and just to make their cash flow better or their balance sheets better, they can, you know, they have no emotional or shelter tie. The velocity of that inventory is faster than a foreclosure yeah. process. And who knows what the government is going to do then at that point. But traditionally homeowners, because people don't understand this, they are in a very good spot. And when a job loss recession happens, that financial profile typically doesn't have very high employment. So it's a, it's a smaller pool of, of, of distressed property that could come up. But you also I also try to counter it with the investment profiles of renters losing their jobs and in any kind of local economy. In that sense, you could have multiple people. So you could get a little bit more velocity of, of inventory from that stressed market. In, in, in that sense. Yeah. And you, and, and we can already see that in, in the investor markets right now, the, the Florida markets and the Arizona and, you know, those, we can see price reductions climbing faster than the rest of the country. We can see inventory climbing faster than the rest of the country. And, and like, especially faster than places like the Northeast, where it's a much more stable market. And so you can already see that, like, those are the people that are most sensitive yeah, the, that's the, the, the faster velocity comes from there than, let's say, a traditional a residential, and that yeah. whole process takes forever. So if I did not have that variable in here, I, it, it couldn't work because it takes forever, you know? Uh, right. 
for, for things to work itself out. So, okay. Uh, so, so then to summarize that, that means that since that job loss recession with higher rates, higher rates meeting in the sixes or something like that, that is what the scenario that leads to, you know, 10% or more home price depreciation. And so that's probably 2024 at the earliest that we could see that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's for that to take its course. Yeah. I mean, housing is so sticky and it takes so long it's going to frustrate people. And that's, that's yeah. one of the things is the frustration that, you know, last year when people said, if rates get to 4%, the dynamics of housing will change and inventory will skyrocket. Yeah. And I go, that has never occurred because of the need of shelter, right? Your seller has to find a shelter. You would need investors to really get hit because the homeowner has to obtain a shelter and, and that'll take, that'll take forever. But it's it, to me, it's almost like 18 to 24 months. So when you get that, so we're starting that process kind of now and we're yeah. still, we're still very low. So that, that'll take its, its course. And then during this 18 to 24 months, you have, okay, rates come back down and the economy gets out of this recession quicker. And then you have to work with those things. That's why it's, it's a weekly things and you have to focus with those things, but you, you need to create a pathway to how you get there. And then when things change, that pathway gets hit, you know, and that's why the home price growth was like, oh no, we're about to do this again, you know, and yeah. uh, the frustration of 2020 got inventory falling and then 2021, oh my God, inventory fell again, that's bad. But guess what? Oh, rates finally came up. Okay, that changes the variable. Housing is such a, a sector that has these really big things that can change the variable to it. And, and that's how that's how I look at it. In that regard. okay, so I got a couple more questions that I'm that are bubbling around in my head. First of all, first question is okay. If you're looking at the structure and you say home prices can't really do a a, a painful tank until 2024, is that is that true? If you look at how hard the other financial markets have cratered, how far stocks have come, and don't look like they've seen the bottom yet, how hard crypto crash. And doesn't look like it's seen the bottom yet. And you know we have like all like all of the other financial markets in the in the world are you know just grinding to a halt at the same time. How can like how can housing not react that way? How can it not be the next domino to fall? So one thing about the previous expansion is that we had almost two bear markets where we had near 20% declines in the stock market, it didn't really impact the housing market. Rates rising was actually more detrimental. Here you have a few areas of the, war, of the world where whether it's crypto, whether it's you know these stay-at-home stocks, they facilitated a lot of the demand for that specific group. But also they're kind of one and done. You know, so unless you have another kind of IPO wave or something to that nature, they're not part of the demand curve anymore. So uh, I would kind of X them out already, even if okay. even even if even if you didn't have the kind of the stock market fall down, even if the stock market rebounded, I, I a lot of that was purchasing, and you know, you could make a case maybe for people that bought five or six, seven or eight homes. You know, the rich like their toys. And the second home market, vacation market, you know, that, that 
you know, that naturally you could see uh, a, a slowdown on itself. But there's only so many homes you can buy with, with that kind of money. So I, even if stocks rebounded, I, I don't see that helping as much as people might think. So, so not helping or hurting. Uh, yeah, there, I mean, I mean, we we got to sales levels that you know, I I I'm not a sales or credit boom. I just say total, if total sales could just get to six point two million new and existing homes in a little bit, that's it. You know, I'm not one of these seven or eight million total home sales people. We just don't have that kind of turnover even. So demand kind of looked fine, a little bit better than I thought. So it's I I, I if stocks rebound, yeah, some people have more of a down payment, I I suppose. But kind of the concentrated heat. You know, in some of these areas with crypto, maybe or the stay-at-home stocks, they, oh, they already bought their house. I know but, the Pel- the Peloton CEO bought a fifty-five million dollar house, and he had to give it away. You know, because they they leverage their buying power off their stocks. So yeah, and that's really for sure. There, there's there's that happening in San Francisco right now for sure. You know, companies, people that that borrowed against their their stock their stocks, and then the stocks tanked by eighty percent. Like, there's a lot of that happening in San Francisco, but that's a that's a unique market, I think. But you know, one point is that maybe the work, the, you know, the diaspora the, of work from home means that like that kind of correction is not, is no longer, you know, just isolated in San Francisco or New York. Maybe that spreads out more across the country. So, and, and also selling equity really helped a lot of people. I mean, when you, when you get a 20 to 30% increase on your home price, uh, and then you're looking at, places, you know, out of state, you know, I, you know, I've got two homes here in Orange County. When I went to Oregon, you know, I was like, man, it's cheap here. Yeah. I mean, literally you can, you know, so work from home to me is such a magnanimous event that you can actually buy a bigger home for yourself. And it's cheaper. It's much, much cheaper than, than, than anything. And this equity increase facilitated that even more. I mean, when I went to Texas for a, for a conference, I was like, my God, I can buy a, like a 4,000 square foot home with cash. And yeah. it's, it's like, how is this even possible? So the, the, that Watch actual, out for those Texas property taxes, though. They, they go up every year, not like California. And they do. But I mean, it's, boy, to, to, to have that much of a divergence between California and Texas in terms of certain things. It's, it's yeah. So, so I like, you know, do those kind of dynamics. So this is the next question that I have is, what are risks that we aren't talking about that or that we that aren't top of mind for folks that are what are some risks that the uh, that the housing market tanks faster and actually need, like does a big correction like 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 the other financial markets did they do you know went strong until they you know turned the corner and then did not what are risks there that we haven't talked about yet Okay, so my primary risk is rates go back down and de- and the inventory gets picked up, and that would be I would just be throwing shoes at my TV at that point. So I'm much different than everyone else. I really need I really need to get off of these because to me the crisis happened in front of our eyes. We had so much home price growth that is so abnormal, and everyone was happy about it, high fiving, cheering, Instagram stories. The detrimental damage that something like, like that that can do can facilitate maybe the next crisis to where mortgage rates, here's one way, this is how I talk about it at events. We've always had 2% plus mortgage rates in every new cycle, right? So that's always helped keep demand stable with home prices rising. For that to happen again, considering we had 2.5% at the lows, you're looking at like a quarter to half a percent mortgage rates. 
I'll so oh, you mean like we 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 dropped by relative two percent yeah. to get two percent kick started again? Yeah. So unless we get a quarter to half a percent mortgage rates, de facto housing inflation is already here. Because I mean, we can get a two percent downturn right now when we're back to four percent, but we're not back to a quarter or half a percent. Yeah. So from now on, the housing inflation story is real because we're not going to get that two percent plus lower mortgage rate. So going out in the future, if now I I think some of the de- demographic story kind of ends after 2024, but in the future, if rates stay high and you get a job loss recession and you know, for some reason, companies in certain areas leave, then those areas are at bigger risk than what you would traditionally has. Because when you have, you know, McDonald Douglas, you know, any kind of local area where you, they kind of leave that spot, the hot crypto money leaves that spot, it impacts demand much more harder. And at with higher mortgage rates, because we're not going to get back to two and a half or one and a quarter of that, there is a risk of prolonged downtrend in demand and inventory stays sticky high. That's a risk because we've we've lost that four decade advantage of lower mortgage rates going 2% plus lower. But the home price acceleration was the problem in 2020, 2021 and 2020. That was the crisis to me. That was the most negative thing I've ever seen post the 2010. And that that actually, you know, that fits into a certain, you know, elegant view of history. Like we, we, as they say, we always, always fighting the previous war and in, in housing, the previous war is, you know, the credit boom, you know, that, that bubble, that bust. And, and so while we're looking at how are, how can home prices, are they going to fall from here? And, and, you know, while we're looking this way, the real crisis is if they went up too see, fast. You're, you're talking crisis. to somebody who wants to see prices decline. Yeah. So this is like, I'm, I saw the crisis. You know, somebody asked me that on a Twitter spaces. What keeps you up at night? The last two years kept me up at night. Yeah. That was yeah. not a good thing. So deflation to me is good because it creates balance. It's getting to that point. What variables do you put in? Yeah. And, and to be clear, like you, we don't, you don't actually see it happening until at least 2024. And, and it's going to require a, a big recession and high rates to, to get there. Yeah. It's, okay. It's housing sticky. It's yeah. Very sticky. So then, that's, that's so then the let's wrap it up here. Let's, let's talk beyond 2024, second half of the decade. What, what's in, what do we need to know? Cause actually, you know, that's rapidly approaching, right? Second half of the decade. What do we need to look at there? What do we expect for housing? If I'm, if I'm a first time home buyer now, you know, I'm looking at 2030 before, you know, I'm moving up. What, what am I need to know? You know, I always talk about in economics, sex and death are variables that need to be spoken about throughout history. Death is coming, right? The ba- No country has a Dorian Gray labor market, and the baby boomers will all die. And the silver tsunami that I used to make fun of all the time that was supposed to happen in 2015, right? The decade yeah. long of every baby boomer selling their house to millennials who can't buy it. You cannot escape death, right? And, and in that period, you know, we're or we have we're a country, even though our population, we have millennials and Gen Z are massive, right? So, so they give us that demographic edge that gives us stable demand. We should be seeing more supply on its own just by death. Now, the question is, do the kids get it and rent it out? Or do they 
sell their properties for more supply compared to what we are dealing with, because that is a big portion of the population that's going to die off. I'm in the process of, uh, you know, selling my, my grandparents passed away. So we're selling their Ocean Towers, Santa, Santa Monica home. More people are going to be in that position toward the end of the decade. And, and I, I'm never a housing construction boom guy. I just fundamentally don't believe the way we run that in our system, it, it's not done correctly. So you can have more single family home supply naturally occur, occur from deaths rather than the business cycle. And then the push maybe for more multifamily construction for people's incomes that were never going to be home buyers anyway. The supply thing should change to that. And that's why I always taught, I always stop my economic work at 2024. Because if you're concerned about home prices escalating, you have to see how much damage it does. And that happens. So a different conversation for a different time, but you can't escape death. Yeah. That is for sure. Right. So that'll be a very interesting progression going down that line. It's still way too early currently. Okay. Got it. And we have so so, but that supply comes along. And what what it's hard to see is what that means because we've got we still have millennials and Gen Z growing in. Do, do your population assumptions, so you do a lot of demographics, you do a lot of your assumptions based on the fact that we got people, they need to live in homes. And, and there's been a lot, there's more millennials than there were of anybody else. One of the things I think about that I don't know that is factored into many of our, these forecasts is that, is that we have cut off immigration and we haven't let it back yet. And like, Trump cut off immigration and Biden hasn't let it back up. And so does, you know, we have all of the the previous population charts for the U.S. are this way when Europe and Japan and all the other places are flat because, you know, like as everybody's having fewer babies, but in the U.S. at least we had immigration. Now we don't have immigration. Do you think about what that means to your? I, I never put positive immigration data in my take. Just because what happened from the 1840s, you know, to the, the kind of the 1920s was unique. What happened in the 1970s to the kind of late 80s with, you know, our labor force growth is all really immigration going out for this century. So I don't believe that's going to get fixed because I just don't think there's a lot of people that move like they used to in, in, in relationship to the population. So I'm not an immigration boom kind of person you we can get workers to come in of course but we're all dying this century it's it's kind of over that population boom that we saw from like 1890 to the 21st century that's really done so we can get more immigration it's just not going to be the same so population growth is falling this is one of the reasons why i'm not a construction boom person because if i'm a builder i'm going there's no way i'm overbuilding whatsoever because we just don't have that kind of now even if immigration picked up noticeably, I just don't think that's, uh, unless I'm wrong about the immigration growth that comes out of nowhere, I, I just assume that we're just going to be in declines for the rest of the century. So that implies that we're like, we're, we're going to have aging housing stock. We're not going to be building that much and we're going to maybe have growing supply relative to population. So longer term trends implies that we may, you know, home prices, might decline. Yeah, down the, the line. And, and that goes to my work. I, ne- 
I, I believe we overbuilt homes in the previous expansion in relationship to demand because the builders do not care about anything but protecting their margins and construction. So if you look at them as a business, they had an 82% crash for new home sales. And then they had the weakest housing recovery ever. They had missed sales in 2013, 14, and 15. And then they had a supply shock in 2018 and they freaked out. They're like, oh, it's the worst fourth quarter since the great financial crisis. It's like 680,000 homes. It wasn't it. We weren't anywhere close to that. But but they will protect their margins because their biggest competitor is this humongous Godzilla existing home sales market. And people are going to die at some point. So because of that, because construction productivity is terrible, because population growth is slowing, they will not overbuild. And it'll be very slow and steady. And everybody will fight it. And everybody will hold on to their homes until their death. And then down the line, you'll get some supply and then we'll see how it works, depending on where people want to live. Of course, everyone has to remodel these old homes. You know, we have so many old homes and the housing stock is so old, especially in certain areas. It upgrades itself. That to me, you know, post 2024, then 2030 is kind of the 2028 to 2033, totally different conversation at, at, at that point. So the thing about America, everyone loves single family homes that make money. And, yeah. and there's just there's just no way to change that. And that's why part of the single family rental is that, well, not every person who makes a decent amount of money can buy a house, but they like that single family home. They don't want to have kids in an apartment or a condo. And there that's goes that. So that's a sort of bearish view of the U.S. housing market in the, the, the next 20 years. That's down the line. Yeah. Down which, the line. Which down for me line. is... Price declines, yes. Yeah. Housing <laughs> affordability, yes. You know, so that's that's kind of how I look at it. But again, right. that is so. Death is that's down the line. But again, I I literally I don't talk. And about I buy that, and I appreciate that view because it's so hard to break out of. Uh, you know, we've been in this world where, you know, so much of the I have the hypothesis that Americans have such a housing fetish because we have no other safety net. It's like, well, at least I own my house, right? I, 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 you know, I can't get health insurance, but, but at least I own my house, or I, I don't have any, you know, I did tiny little social security, but at least I own my house. And, but in a world where we have housing stock rising relative to falling po- population, we could shift into a mode where that house is now losing value every year because there's more and more homes available. That brings a smile to my face, <laughs> you know, but it's also, there's also going to be a lot of wealth transfer, you know, Very toward, the, toward the end of, of this decade. And that's down the line. And, you know, I, generally speaking, people don't think that far out. You know, I like last year, there was a discussion that I was listening to and somebody told somebody, hey, listen, don't buy a house this year, wait till next year. And then at that point, you know, there'll be more supply. Well, home prices went up 20% and mortgage rates are up. That person's not buying a house, you know? So people always are thinking about shelter payment, shelter costs, shelter costs, you know? Oh, okay. Rent or buy a house. There we go. And hence millions and millions of people will buy homes. Of course, we don't have the same demographic patch like Europe does or Japan, just because the millennials and Gen Z are so big. They're they're just those two are bigger than the total population in Japan. So I always look at it ex-immigration. I just look at it as these people are here and they're stable replacement demand. That's why I I don't talk about housing as a boom or credit boom. I just say it's stable replacement demand. And at the end of 2024, we'll have a whole new discussion. But man, that price gain was just brutal. Brutal. 
Well, that's where we're going to leave it today. Logan, where should people connect with you? Twitter? Logan Morshami for Twitter and Instagram. I don't I don't have a Facebook page. I, all my work is on HousingWire. So HousingWire.com. Logan VIP 50 if you want to join HW+. If you really want to nerd out, you know, my Instagram stories are not very fun, but we do go over all the economic tra- charts and try to explain them every day. So at least, you know, people could have somewhere to nerd out. So that's kind of my thing. I'm not like, I'm not, you know, going to be crazy, you know, crash here or boom here, but try to explain all the economic data, everything, not just housing, all economics all the time, because be the detective, not the troll. Uh-huh, I love it. I love it. And, and you do. It's great. Both of those, your Instagram and your and the Twitter interaction are the terrific stuff. So you're you're voluminous in your in your <laughs> output, really lots of work there. So I appreciate it. I appreciate your time with us today. Your thank you for taking the time and giving us your your views and your expertise. It's been a lot of fun. So housingwire.com and it's Logan VIP 50. If you want yeah, a discount code, plus, if you, yeah. you want to pay some yeah. of that stuff that like I like to share with housingwire and it's it's paywalls. So yeah. it's for professionals. But if you're interested, get it. And, and also there, there is my blog, loganmoshami.com. I don't write on there anymore, but the podcasts that we have at housingwire, they're all there every Monday. So the, the weekly podcast that, that, that goes on there so people can see that that's free and open to the public. Terrific. Thank you, Logan. All right, everybody. This is the Top of Mind Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We're going to be back next week with another one. And I really appreciate everybody's attention and subscribe, do all the things. We'll talk to you all again soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. See you again next time and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes. 